Happy Friday the 13th, everybody. Thomas Jefferson said, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unamiable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Welcome to the Talking Minds podcast. Come join us as we chat about a whole host of mindset-related issues, giving you both the male and female perspective. Don't miss out on the exciting interviews we'll be conducting with some truly inspirational guests. My name's Marcus Matthews, and I'm a rapid transformational therapist whose quest is to transform people's minds to reach their own personal greatness. My name is Tracy Carroll. I'm a rapid transformational therapy practitioner, and my mission is to end the stigma surrounding mental health issues and show people they no longer need to suffer in silence. Welcome to the Talking Minds podcast, everyone. Today we have an amazing guest, um, Julie Leonard, and she is coming to talk to us all about her journey and how she goes out into the world now and helps people to create intentional happiness. So welcome, Julie. It's lovely to have you here. And good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to you, Marcus. Hello, everybody. Yeah, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Um, there is no coronavirus on this podcast today, um, so we are very healthy and wealthy and wise and happy. Let's get Lovely it. to be here and meet both of one. you. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try not to talk. So this is trying to make people happy by me not talking on this one. <laughs> so I'm going to get crazy to me on this one. Today. It's not going to happen. We know it's not. I'll, I'll, I'll just start rambling anyway. But hey, I'll be hey, sad if you I'm don't chat to me, that. Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, Julie, why don't you start off by telling us a little bit about uh, your childhood, where this all began, or should I say how mm. it began and why? Yeah, of course. I'd love to share my story with you. I always start with uh, telling everyone I wasn't always this confident, which if you know me from now, it's always surprising because I love to chat. I love to be on podcasts and uh, speaking on stages, but um, I wasn't always this way. So. My story really begins in my childhood where um, I grew up 
with a, a depressed father. He still is depressed. He's, he actually turns 82 this Sunday. And um, I also come from Scotland. And uh, if you know that area, the west of Scotland, that's where we don't talk about emotions and we don't talk about how we feel. And particularly if you're a man, you don't talk about how you feel. And so it wasn't really discussed in our house what was going on. We knew my dad's depression and anxiety, but that, that was really it. And um, how that manifested was he was often like in his own head with his thoughts or yeah, just not in a good mood sometimes or very, very emotional and very demonstrative. So I always knew I was very loved. But how that manifested for me was I interpreted a lot of his behavior in a very negative way. And, and so I grew up with very strong beliefs that, uh, that I wasn't good enough, that uh, what I thought wasn't of importance, that my opinion didn't matter because he often mm. would uh, cut off not listen to me or he would cut me off in mid-sentence etc and yeah. that gave me so I internalized that as there's something as we about do. me as we do it's very natural I'm sure what I'm saying resonates with a lot of people mm. and so I also had a lot of other other ones thrown in the pot there I really grew up feeling very very ugly and really struggling with how I looked um, from a very early age as well um, and so I grew up with that very anxious, very shy school. I just felt physically sick the whole time at school. So nervous all the time, couldn't speak in class. And this followed me all the way through school. I was bullied all the way through school as well. I had to wear braces and all these lovely things. And I developed an allergy to perfume products, which was a disaster in the 80s, as you can imagine. No hairsprayed hair and all this kind of stuff. Oh, so yeah, yeah, it was a nightmare as a teenager. Uh, so school was just pretty awful for me and so um, it probably is no surprise that I went on to study psychology I had to go and make sense of the, you know what's going on in my world and I yeah university study psychology and uh, yeah I realized there I wasn't quite as weird as I thought I was which was brilliant but I still really struggled with my confidence and my self-esteem and you know I couldn't even go into the canteen to have a coffee with my friends because I couldn't physically walk across the room to meet them you know so on a table across the canteen I couldn't go there so I was really it really affected me a lot it really limited me in so many ways but I think um I think what is interesting is that I think because of that it's made me who I am today and that will come out as we talk but you know I didn't particularly enjoy my childhood or, or my teenage years but it's made me who I am today and it makes me good at what I do. And so I, I, um, I went on to work in mental health. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to work with people. It was a very natural place for me to go. And I really wanted to get out there and support people not to feel the way that I feel because I didn't feel that you had to stay that way. Yeah, I think that's really important. And it probably resonates both with myself and Marcus for the things that we've been through as well. Mm -hmm. um, and as you say, that that's part of who you were. And although it was nice at the time, had you not gone through that, you wouldn't be the person you are today. Exactly. You'd now be doing all your work to help people who are going through the same, which is pretty much what we're doing as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm quite interested. I've made a few notes here, but just on that last thing, mm -hmm. I'm just interested on this one, is that I find that a lot of people who are natural carers, whether that be, because I, I don't know if Tracy told you, I, I used to be a police officer. Okay. So, um, so 
that natural kind of caring role we normally find that people in that role give more than they receive um mm -hmm. and i'm interested to know about that journey in regards to finding balance and going mm -hmm. inside rather than just giving out because i think mm -hmm. when we don't feel enough we crave attention in some ways but in a different way not in the attention of look at me but we still want that attention we still want that inner child to feel as though it's loved and i'm really interested to see mm -hmm. what your journey was in that realization of having to possibly give to yourself or do you give to yourself or do mm -hmm. you care because mm -hmm. for me we're talking about happiness in this podcast and a mm -hmm. lot of people and you see it in your parents. I certainly see it in my parents that they yeah. feel that they need to give to get happiness to others to receive it. And then when they don't receive it, yeah. that's when things start to go downhill. You give, but don't receive. And I'm just interested yeah. to find out yeah. that element of your journey in regards to how did you find that? What were the yeah. things that you came across? What did you do? What were your realizations? Yeah, yeah, you're, you're absolutely spot on, obviously. Yeah, and it was very interesting. So the job that I had initially was I would go out into people's homes out to see women and I would form connection I would work with them in in their own homes and they would always say to me like how come you understand how I feel you know the psychiatrist or the, the psychiatric nurse or someone they don't get it you know and I was like well because I feel like I've been through a lot of your experience I've been through a lot of you know not all of them I worked a lot in trauma and abuse but uh you know I understood that you know how they felt I understood and could um, have empathy for being alone in your own head or feeling that you're not good enough or being mm. really stuck with negative thinking or not feeling that you were worthy of anything or not feeling that you can make those changes so it allowed me to create that connection but also it was a huge journey for me because I did that I mean you guys can see me other the rest of your audience can't but yeah, I've been doing this for 30 years so you know I've done it a long time um, and so it took me a while to work out how to take care of myself in that because I did I, I derived a huge amount of um, meaning and purpose and happiness and satisfaction from helping other people from forming those really deep connections and seeing powerful transformations I particularly work with women but you know to see women who go from the depths of despair and actively suicidal at times to actually living life and my whole role was my whole belief was not just that you didn't feel as anxious or as depressed anymore but actually you had a real quality of life I was going into people's houses and they were just existing they were not living and in terms of like maybe like a doctor or a psychiatrist they were fine because you know they weren't in seeing services or taking medication but they were not living it was just mm. existing and so I, for a long time, I, I derived a huge satisfaction from helping people. Um, but it often led to periods where I felt really burnt out, mm. where I really, um, I took on a lot. I, I did have secondary trauma because I listened to abuse stories all day, mm. plus life stories. You guys know this, but you know, you go into people's homes and like, it's not just like one thing happened. There's all these life stories and I would just hear like it felt like I heard the, the worst of life every day that's kind of how it felt and so I did a lot in the beginning um I did really simple things like I would wear certain clothes to work and take them off and get changed when I came home to feel like I physically removed the day and 
um, I really lost myself in music. I love live music. I still do. I love going out to concerts. I would do a lot of things where I'd escape what I do. Um, but I did go through periods where I felt completely, you know, wiped out, depleted. And I did have periods where, you know, life also happened to me over 30 years where, you know, I had to just take time out and look after myself. And I think there was, there's been a couple of turning points in my life, but one of them was sitting at work one day and just realizing that this isn't enough. I always felt so fortunate that I was doing a job that I love, that I'm passionate about, and I still am after all this time. Um, I still love what I do, but it wasn't enough. I realized it wasn't enough. I always put all my happiness on, here I have this amazing job and I help people. And you know, that's kind of typical. And I worked in a charity as well, so I didn't get paid very much money. But you know, that whole reward is in the work that you do sort of feeling. Yeah, and I, I just, should be happy. I should be happy because look what I do. And yeah, money's not that important. Well, it kind of is, you know, but <laughs> <laughs> you have to pay the mortgage, you know. But I realized that I just remember sitting in the office one day and thinking, like, gosh, this isn't enough. There's other parts of my life that aren't okay. But also, there's still so much work I have to do on myself. And I had done so much by this point. But, you know, it's that realization. And what I would tell everyone I was working with is that, yeah, the external things are important. You know, if you don't have money, if you're in debt, if your housing situation is really bad, you know, if you live in an abusive situation, you know, if you feel isolated, etc. Yeah, that's going to affect how you feel. But where we have to start is in ourselves, because if you don't feel resilient, strong, or even like yourself, it doesn't matter what else goes on around about you. You're just going to yo-yo in your emotions, depending on how good or bad things are around you. And I knew that to a degree, but I really had to keep working on that. And that's really from working all these years and using those tools on myself. I'm now at this point where I'm talking about intentional happiness and how to create balance, inner and outer balance in our lives. And of course, like anyone, I'm human. There's days and weeks where things go overwhelming and too busy and stuff. But it's about being able to come back and check in on that and focus on what actually is really important in your life. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we've talked about this quite a, a few things, and, I, and it always come, I always come back to this, is that I know when people want to um, relax, they say breathe, don't they? But a lot of people don't understand the reason why why you need to breathe. And and I always um, we always say about this about if you give and give, it's like giving an out breath constantly. It's painful, so you need to breathe in. And if you breathe in and out with balance, then that that helps but actually from a chemical point of view when you breathe consciously actually you you lift the cortisol in your brain and you do start to get um dopamine epinephrine you get all the all those chemicals starts coming so you start to get clarity um mm -hmm. and it's interesting you used a word that's being used quite a lot at the moment which is trauma mm -hmm. and you also said a lot about you said about when you were helping people but you were taking a lot of that on. Um, and one of the first books that I I read was from um, an ex-senior officer in the Met. It's called Blue by a guy called um, John Sutherland. Um, and he talks a lot about his kind of thing is um, Locard's theory in forensics, that every contact leaves a trace. So forensically, that might be touch, so fingerprints and all that sort of stuff. But actually, it works in the subconscious as well. 
and in your mind and and i i say it's like a fish swimming through water if the water is slowly being poisoned it doesn't see the poison coming in and that's kind of what happens in our lives and in our minds and sometimes um one of the first songs i started to listen to after i had the breakdown that i had was breathe by ariana grande if you listen to the lyrics on that song and it's still pertinent now you can kind of go oh right you know and another thing that was interesting that you said that you started to go to music and stuff like that now interestingly the creativity part the emotional part of our mind is the subconscious that's where music comes from being in nature all the rest of it so it, it kind of all makes sense so mm -hmm. when people say get into nature breathe and you go i can't do that i haven't got time there's actually a chemical reason for that in your brain that allows you to get yourself stable um so yeah i don't know what your thoughts are tracy on that yeah, it was actually interesting you talking about the whole breathing thing. And obviously we've done all this in the training that if you give too much, it's uncomfortable. If you take too much, it's uncomfortable, blah, blah, blah. Um, but going back to what you just said there, Marcus, about getting out in nature and breathing. When I had a breakdown and was suffering from panic attacks, the, the breath thing was the big thing for me. It was I um, hyperventilated a lot. Um, so that was my worst symptom everything else i could kind of deal with but it was that and it was the the fear that i can't breathe and i think it's just panic but what if it's not what at what point do i raise the alarm that i actually can't and i remember doing or, or trying loads of little different things and even meditating i remember shunning straight away because the first thing they say is concentrate on your breath um, I did courses on relaxation um, and actually a really good one that was put on by um, the NHS, which was all around anxiety and depression. And they kind of combined the two. And it was, it sounds horrible, but given that it was the NHS, it was a really, really good course. But obviously it no longer runs, unfortunately. But I partook in every single session that I went to, apart from the meditation one because I just could not close my eyes and focus on my breathing because the moment I concentrated on my breathing, I was instantly like, I can't breathe. Whereas if I just led it to my subconscious and I just carried on and I knew my body would breathe, but it's just really interesting you sort of saying that's what we need to do. But what experience have you got in that sense, Julie? If somebody like me six years ago came to you and said, look, this is what I'm going through, please do not tell me to concentrate on my breathing. How would you have, I mean, obviously I, I got past it, got through it myself, but what would you have suggested to somebody like me in that situation? Yeah, I, yeah, it, I've heard what you said so many times that, yeah, it's often like, you know, be still, slow down and be like alone with yourself and it's the last place you want to be, you know, when you feel <laughs> yeah, that so bad, true. you know. Um, so I really get that. I don't think, I don't think it's, the first step that you go to, it makes a lot of sense because mm. we now know in retrospect how good that is for us to do that. But at the time when you're in that feeling of panic and anxiety, it's the last thing you want to do. Um, yeah. Initially, what I've always suggested to people is to do things that are still like healthy and good for you, but are more of a distraction in the beginning. Yeah. I think that really helps. So to find something, whether it's maybe like trying to read or to take a walk or to you know do some yoga something that i think is mindful but still an activity 
works really well. So you're kind of busy doing something, but it's not that really introspective, like really focused in your own head. Yeah, interestingly, that was when um, I spent a lot of time doing puzzles. Puzzles are brilliant. Puzzles are brilliant, and I'm totally into colouring as well. Yes, <laughs> I think yeah, colouring is awesome. Colouring around, isn't there? Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that is really interesting, actually, is is that when we look at this, I I, I was doing an event yesterday and spoke to um, what hopefully will be a prospective client yesterday, and we talked about he, he tried meditation, he tried this, and I think one of the biggest things is the advice we get goes from x to well let's go from a to h and misses all the letters out in between mm -hmm. and really one of the biggest piece of advice is, is i can say is first be trying to be mindful and accept what's happening mm -hmm. um, and don't try and suppress it mm -hmm. be aware of it and actually really say this is happening and acknowledge that it's happening that that's the first thing and just a simple thing for me is if you have the availability to just walk a few steps away from where you are and even if it's to breathe and you just close your eyes and just go i've moved away from that situation now i'm going to spend a moment or i'm going to go for a walk even not the breathing just take yourself out of that so the distraction doesn't need to be something that's a puzzle you know try and i know they talk about grounding but just going right i recognize this is happening and just actually acknowledging it and, and it is difficult. We just go, this is, this is happening, but it's, it's not going to do anything. You know, you know, that, that's, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but it's really chunking yeah. it up to the smallest. I of totally things. agree with you. I totally agree with you. And like, it makes me think about um, all the times that I went out into people's homes, but also how I, how I work now, because I, I work one-on-one -on -one with, with people as a coach is, you know, and you'll know this yourself. And I was the same. Often when you're in it, you don't really understand how you got to that point. Mm. Or you might know there's some of it, but it's hard to really understand, like, why do I feel the way that I feel? And what I did was to listen. I listened to people's stories. I listened to what's going on. I asked the questions. And first and foremost, it's reassuring people that it's entirely normal to feel that the way you feel right now, given what you've been through. Mm -hmm. And most of the time people don't say that. It's often like, oh, you're, you are anxious or you are worried or you are, you know, we're told that's how you're given a sort of diagnosis or something. Or people are just kind of struggling along and feeling stuck or accept that that's who they are as people. Um, and first and foremost, I think it's really important to understand and acknowledge, like you're saying, Marcus, but understand like, you know, it's okay how you feel because it makes sense given mm -hmm. the, the circumstances you've maybe experienced up until now. Or like a lot of my clients just now, it's like, well, you know, given your upbringing or your life journey, it makes sense that you feel this way. And it's also important to know that it's okay. It's understandable. When you understand why it's happening, it kind of calms you down a little bit because when, like you're describing, Tracy, when you don't really know, is it panic attacks? Is it, what is it? What could it be? Like, will it be okay? Will it go away? Will it get worse? That's so scary. So it's really important to understand where you're at and why you're at that point and then reassure people that there's hope that you can change and we know that we can change Absolutely. our brains and feel differently so that's my a with people Absolutely. yeah i did um i did a talk yesterday and one of the things that i looked at because obviously i'm a rapid transformational therapist so we deal with the subconscious um and a lot of the stuff that's used particularly in the nhs and this is not about putting the nhs down um 
is CBT. CBT seems to be the, the go-to. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a look under the nice guidelines and I had a look at something. I just want to share this. So I'm just going to flick over to my other screen. It won't affect the podcast, but I just want to read this out because I think this is, this really, I knew what CBT was, but when I looked at the guidelines and the wording, um, and I highlight a couple of these words. So I just want to read this out. So cognitive behavioral therapy is a talking therapy that can help you manage your problems by changing the way you think and behave. Um, it is most commonly used to treat anxiety and depression, but can also be used for other stuff. So CBT, it works on the concepts of the thoughts, feelings, physical sensations and actions that are all interconnected. We know that. Um, CBT helps to deal with the overwhelming problems in a more positive way by breaking them down into smaller parts. You're shown how to change these negative patterns to improve the way you feel. Unlike other treatments, CBT deals with the current problems rather than focusing on the issues from the past. It looks for practical ways to improve your state of mind. Now, there's a reason why I say that. And Tracy, you can't see this, but Tracy is a cringing. Knowing what we know, okay, is that, and I'm not going against this because actually I think that that CBT element is fine, but all of that stuff, when you are panicking, is of no thing whatsoever because every client I've ever spoken to for anxiety, stress, because that's what I, uh, PTSD, that's what I, I specialize in, will tell me the same thing. I know I shouldn't feel like this. And logically, everything you are telling me <laughs> makes sense. However, I can't do that because this is how I feel. And we know that our environment from the day we're born all the way affects that. So not to look to that is bad. So it actually says, right, suppress all that. And we're just going to deal with things as they are now. And then we wonder why people have to go on drugs or they go, it doesn't work. And I kind of get on my soapbox, but... I was at this the event in, in Birmingham and I, was, I had HR and occupational therapists coming up to me, which was really surprising because Tracy knows my love of HR departments. Um, huge. And, huge. Huge. Uh, but do you know what? I'm changing that mindset now um, because I spoke to a lot of them and they said, you know, this is the advice that we're getting, the medical advice that we're getting, but actually we're finding it's not working. In fact, it's making it worse. And that's nothing against medical people at all. But when i don't know if you found this when you speak to clients when you're coaching clients but whether they're saying the same things this is the the advice that i'm getting from the professionals but this is how i feel so what i do is i feel stupid and i just suppress it even more and just do as i'm told because if i don't do as i'm told then obviously it's not going to go away but it doesn't change the feeling i just wonder what your thoughts are on that yeah i mean um, i think cbt is is so well promoted because it's been researched so therefore they can they want to use that as a tool because there's a research basis behind it that's yeah. validated. I think there's elements of CBT that work really well at the right time in some Agreed. journey. And Absolutely. so I do use elements of that with my clients, but I don't start there. And I completely agree with what you're saying is that, yeah, a lot of my clients that I've seen, that I've seen and I do continue to see, they're given that as a kind of, that will fix you and sort yes. you out. And it does absolutely nothing. It just makes people feel worse because they can't do it. Yeah. And so it's, it's a complete waste of everybody's time. And, uh, and then people just feel even more worse. Like, you know, how about just giving me something that compounds exactly how I already feel that I am not good enough. I am not able to do anything. I'm worthless. I'm useless. 
Thanks for just reinforcing that feeling to me. Yeah, and, and so. what we'll do is just so that you can just so you can lift the cloud, we'll give you some drugs just so you can really take that in. Um, yeah. And that's what I'm saying. I'm not saying it's negative. Yeah. I personally have no, got got taking medication, using CBT, NLP, whatever it is. But actually, this misnomer that that's it. But you can understand it certainly with the NHS because they can only afford so much treatment. However, there is very much this feeling that um, they're not willing to embrace anything else or try anything else. I think that's changing. I think it has to Mm -hmm. because I think the world is changing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What are your thoughts, Tracy? (laughs) I'm still cringing at the word manage. (laughs) I know, I know. Yeah, not a great word. It's actually on on my PowerPoint. It's bold and underlined. Yeah, it's just (laughs) ringing out in my head, manage, manage, manage. No, 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 it's not manage. It's just like get rid of it. Um, But I'll try not to get on my soapbox. The, The thing that struck me apart from that part was it now kind of makes a bit more sense as to the psychology of people. Well, we'll, we'll say for the people that who are suffering with our anxiety and depression, because it's kind of the route we've temporarily gone down. You can now understand really why such a huge uh, percentage of, the, of that kind of population will decide to turn to medication. And having done CBT because it's the go-to therapy, when it's not worked, it's not surprising really that they come to the conclusion that I'm stuck with this, this is who I am, and they own it. Because I have come up against so many people, not um, who have come to me, but I've seen it online in in different forums. And, And it drives me mad that I, when I went through it, I knew I wasn't going out like that. There was something inside of me saying, you are not going out like this. And I, I, don't, I never even thought, can I get over this? I just knew I would. And I had decided in that moment that I wasn't going to go back to how I'd been before, which is a lot of people say, I just want to be who I used to be. No, 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 because who you used to be is what led to your breakdown or to your panic attacks or your anxiety or depression, right? Mm. I knew that I didn't want to go back to who I was before. I wanted to go way beyond her. And with all of this, because the NHS does uh, recommend CBT and because, as you say, they've done the research behind it and and currently, as far as they're concerned, research-wise, it's the best they can offer, people will go with that and they'll say, well, the NHS say that this is what we do, so I'm going to do it. And when, oh, it didn't work, I'll... That must mean I'm stuck with it. Hmm. And that is incredibly, given the, the skill and the ability that three of us here have, is incredibly frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I, those are such important points. And I'm, it's so great to hear you say these things. because, <laughs> And I mean it in a positive way. And that several things that I say to everyone that I meet is that uh, you are not an anxious person. You are somebody who has anxiety and I feel that's the difference because when you're told this is what you are that's what people are essentially told most of the time you are an anxious person let's manage that anxiety that's it so therefore you are this is who I am and so you have this really powerful suggestion that this is you you are fixed this is how you're always going to be and let's see if we can kind of help you manage feeling a little bit better 
no. no. And I would be like, no, you've just told me this huge life story. No wonder you feel anxious. No wonder you have this reactionary depression. You are a wonderful person who has depression or has anxiety or has stress. That's how I always said. And that can change. We can change that. And it's so yeah. important to give people hope that they can change. And that's yes. why we're here. That's why we're talking because all three of us have completely transformed ourselves, our lives. And that's what we want to do with other people is you are not defined by your past. Of course, it shapes us, but it doesn't mean that you're fixed and you're stuck. No. Feel stuck if people are telling you this is who you are. But you do not have to be defined by what has happened to you or how you feel right now. Yeah, one of the one of the things that we've been talking about the series that we're doing at the moment on the journey to abundance. Um, so if anybody was actually tuning in for the last part of the journey to abundance, oh. making the <laughs> familiar familiar because we're 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 putting this in, but actually I think it'll segue actually quite nicely into the last of that series. But we talked about fear, and I think one of the biggest things is that when feel that people feel that that defines them, and they're told, well, actually this has happened to you, this is who you are, and we're going to help you to cope. They fear anything else that anybody's going to tell them, especially if it's come from a reliable source. And sometimes that's done out of ignorance of anything else. Um, and I, I, I just wondered how, how you work with your clients to go, okay, this is scary. I get that. And at this present moment in time, you don't believe that change is that. And they don't want to change who they are. And I think this is, I picked up on this from you, Tracy, is that people go, well, I don't want to change who I am. I love who I am. However, everybody else around me, um, it's causing me to feel this way. We start procrastinating. And it's actually, I'm interested how you do that accountability with the client. So actually, nobody is coming to save you. You've kind of got to save yourself, but you've got to take action. And you have these choices that you've got to make. And these are the choices. What is worse, to, to take a risk, take a chance on faith, and or, or stay where you are? You know, and then how do you build that trust and get that that trust in them that change is going to happen so they can move forward and take those steps. I'm just really interested in how you do that. Cause I think as coaches, as therapists, you will have people who kind of go, yes, that's what I want. But then you will get other people that go, no, the victim. So some people have become victims and they want to go on that hero's journey and they're kind of there, but then there's others that go, no, you can't help me. I'm always going to be like this. I've been told this, the medical professionals have told me, why should I trust you? Why are you different? Now, our stories are always compounding. And I always tell my story to clients to say, this is what I've done. But I think sometimes people still don't get that. And I still do it now. You look at people who are amazing. You go, oh, I could probably never do that. I'll be honest, I'm changing that now. Kind of the sky is the limit as far as I'm concerned. Glad to hear it. <laughs> on the conversations that you have with clients that are struggling, they cut, they've got that cortisol, they've got that cloud down that black dog's there, they don't see any hope. How do you flip that to that happiness? And how long does that normally take for them? And, you know, how does that look for the client on that client's journey to go from feeling there to, to getting that back to that happiness and feeling good enough about themselves? Yeah. Oh, I'm so enjoying this conversation. It's so nice to talk to other people in the same point of view. So it's That's really great. It's really nice. <laughs> um, yeah. So, I mean, I guess, more often than not, a coach is really focused on the present and the future. That's often how coaching works. But with my personal story, with my psychology background and all my years of experience, um, 
I do attract much more of the people you just described. So I attract typically women who are incredible women, but who have absolutely no self-esteem, self-worth, or any belief in themselves and are completely crippled by limiting beliefs and negative thinking. And I have a huge number of people right now where I'm having just exactly what you described there, Marcus, yeah. that whole conversation of, you know that they want to feel differently and they want a different life. They're sitting here, they're paying me money to sit here with me. They want that, but they cannot believe it will happen for them. So I am really working with a lot of people who are, who are really in that place of, you know, I've tried stuff over the years and it never worked. Why, why should this work? So yeah. why should it work now? Because the problem is with me. That's usually why. You know, because, well, I've tried stuff, so it's me. You know, yeah, you've, yeah, you've helped people before and you helped yourself, but there's something about me that's I, I'm different. faulty. Yeah, I'm you know, different. there's something wrong here that's, you know, it's not going to work for me. So I have a huge number of clients like that. I attract that and I love that because I know I can do it. Love getting into that. And so because of that, I, and it goes back to what we were saying about CBT and, and everything else, is that as I coach, I also go backwards with them. And so I'm very interested in helping them understand how they got to this point in their lives, how they found, how they got this inner critic, as I call it, this yeah. inner voice that just talked to them nonstop. And most of the people that I work with don't really know how that happens. And it's incredible. And I'm like, well, you know, my childhood was fine and nothing really happened. And, you know, so I don't really know how I feel like this. And then we start talking about it and all this stuff comes out and you're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like maybe that's why that, you know? And so I, I do go backwards with people and I start with like their upbringing. And I mean, I'm so fortunate here. I, I'm based in Munich. Um, and so it's very international here. So I work with people from all around the world yeah. and I work online as well. So I can work anywhere in the world. So there's all these different cultural aspects as well. You know, I have people that grew up in Eastern Europe with a lot of, you know, communism and dictatorships and stuff. That shapes you as a person, you know. There's, it's absolutely, I mean, I love it. It's fascinating, you know, how people um, are shaped and how they get to this point. So I really want to find out who they are and how they became the person that they are. And I do believe when you understand your journey, you understand what happened. Not about blaming anybody, not by saying, you know, my parents messed me up or whatever, but when you understand what happened and how you got here, it's, it makes a lot of sense. It makes it easier to understand. And it's also less about blaming yourself as like there's something wrong with you. Mm. No. So I really like to do that journey. I guess sharing my story and, you know, having like, my own story of going from very anxious and shy to who I am now. There's clearly no qualms about talking, as you can tell. Um, <laughs> you know, I, you know that also gets people. And part of my um, transformational story is I went through a very difficult relationship for many years. My boyfriend at the time, I was with with him for 16 years. Very difficult for a huge. That's a whole other podcast in itself. But really getting to a point where I really had a breakdown and sitting on my sofa one day and just being like, what am I going to do? Like, I think at that point it was 2004 and 
I think someone had said, do you want to go out one night to the pub or something? And I hadn't been to the pub for like five years. I hadn't been on holiday. Ironically, my career was going amazing. I was a manager of a mental health charity and doing amazing work. But personally, I was just still not in a good place. And I just had that moment of like, what is more scary? Staying stuck or facing my fears and getting out there? Because I think like you, Tracy, as well, like, I don't want to be like this. There was something in me of like, I don't know what it's going to be like, but I don't want to be like this. This, my life is, it sucks, it's rubbish. And so when I share that, I think that really resonates with people. And I think a lot of my clients feel the same. They're stuck and they desperately want it to be different, but it's really terrifying. And there's a lot of research, a lot of evidence that when you feel confidence in somebody, you believe them more so when you can if you're confident in the therapist the coach that you're working with the research says that you're 25 percent more likely to believe that there's hope for change because we're trying we yeah. need connection we want to avoid connection we need connection yeah definitely and i think the way we are look, look how well we've connected already we that's one of the things we're good at I'm, I'm good at making connection i have that empathy that understanding and and i have a story that people resonate and connect with so I work hard to build a trusting, authentic, which is very important, authentic relationship with people that builds trust and confidence in me. And I do say, like, I do acknowledge you don't feel it right now and you don't believe it right now, but trust in me that I'm with you on this journey and that you will get there. I know that you will have this light bulb moment. I see it every time my client, that point where it just clicks amazing. and that change happens and it's just amazing. Yeah. And I get that all the time. And yes, yeah, so I start working on the, the mindset and I start working practically with people to start to, to move. And something that I talk about rather than people saying, like, I've got to get out of my comfort zone, which is terrifying. It's the last place you want to go when you feel anxious or depressed or stuck. I talk about how can we build you and your resilience and how you feel about yourself and we expand your comfort zone. How do we expand you and your comfort zone so that you grow as a person, not that you have to get out into something terrifying. And that's why I do. And we get results really, really quickly. Uh, In a matter of weeks, things start to change. I mean, you're taking like 30, 40 years sometimes of like really embedded suggestions and thinking, but within a matter of weeks, things start to change when people start to recognize that automatic negative thinking that they never even notice when they start to become aware of their language when they start to put things into action and see change it happens fast yeah do you know i'm just just listening and, and kind of going off on a little bit of a side but i did want to highlight this i'm just sitting here realizing that all three of us um probably when we were at our lowest knew intuitively it was down to us yeah and that was where i came from with that question is that for those people who don't get that i'm just, i was just interested yeah. in that in the aspect and you when you have that conversation now mm-hmm. is, I, yeah, just, I do have those challenging conversations with this people. is what i this is what i've put it down to this is called my truth equation um uh, it's, i've probably stolen this from somebody else but this is the way that i look at it is that normally when somebody has comes with a problem let's say it's anxiety there's normally i'm going to use the word trauma because trauma seems to be really popular at the moment i use trauma as something a significant trauma you know a bombing or something like that but trauma seems to be used 
as a, as a, as a holistic thick word now for an event that happened that then triggers the, those feelings. So the ingredients, panic attacks, insomnia, not feeling good enough, that then becomes the label. And that's where we kind of tend in, in many ways to treat. We treat the trauma and the ingredients and the label. And then once you've got a label, then you can get help. That's kind of how it works. But what I say to clients is there's actually an underlying issue with that. And, and it, it goes something like this. It's the feeling that's connected to the story that is repeated over and over and over and becomes more intensified till you get the trauma, which then you start, somebody then starts to speak about the ingredients and gives you a, a label. And I think that for the person to trust, it's about finding out the truth. What is the truth about the feeling, the story, and the trauma? And to absolutely embrace and acknowledge that it's happened, and it's okay, and it doesn't make you any different, and that other people go through that. And as soon as you can acknowledge that actually it doesn't matter if you don't know where that feeling came from, because it's drip-fed over time, and it is just a story that you're telling yourself, although very real to you at this moment in time, when you work with a coach, when you work with a therapist, what they tend to then be able to do is to allow you to see context behind that fear and that story, investigate it. And yes, it is uncomfortable. I say to all my clients, I will hold you accountable. I will give you a hug virtually or otherwise if you need it, but I'm not going to allow you to be a victim of something that is a, is not a truth. It may have been a truth at the time, but actually it has no impact, you know? And I know Lisa, uh, I can never say it to Lisa Bayou, Impact Theory, people mm. know them. She talked about when she first went on stage and said, what if it all goes wrong? What with forward projecting, anxiety, what if, what if? And she said, all she did was she changed it. When what if this is gonna be the most amazing speech I ever give? What if this is the thing that's, and when you actually hear stories of some of those big coaches, the ones that have broke through and you actually, you don't read their theory, you read their story, the stuff under the water of the iceberg of how they got there. Cause everybody's gone through the same thing. Mm -hmm. They made that decision to say, do you know what? I acknowledge my failure or my lessons as I call them. Cause they're not failures or successes. <laughs> they're just lessons that work and lessons that guide you. You know, they're just a different path. And I think that that is really important for people to understand that you haven't failed. You've just learned lots of lessons, which is great because if you failed loads, you're one step closer to succeeding. You only need to succeed once. And then once you get back on track, the successes start to go. You start to believe in yourself. And sometimes all you need is somebody at the side of you going, I've got your back. This is going to happen because we need that connection as human beings, we need that. So I'm just wondering, is that something that you see in your clients as well? That kind of that, it's that feeling and story that's actually, whether that be in the past or whether it be now, mm -hmm. it doesn't really matter because everything we know now has come from our past anyway, but it is about severing that feeling and that story and understanding the real truth, not the truth that you perceive. I'm just wondering what you're- Yeah, yeah, gosh, yeah. Um, I think I, I see it in, two different ways so yeah I, when I see when I talk about when I, I worked in Scotland I did work specifically in trauma which was childhood sexual abuse yeah. domestic abuse that so you know specifically the spectrum of trauma as you define, yeah what you would call trauma so I had a lot of clients who 
were really yeah, just attached with like really living that feeling it was in a heightened state all the time really with that trauma and could tell their story over and over but they were just stuck in that loop of telling the story and being defined by their trauma and that's who they are and so yeah it was trying to break that and 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 see them as like yeah you've experienced that and like you're amazing I just feel like you're incredible look how strong you are because you have not only survived that, but you are living and, you know, this is people that, you know, they had jobs and, and families and all these things going on. Like, how incredible, how strong are you actually trying to flip it and being like, in a very, hopefully an authentic and genuine way, not in a patronizing yeah. way, but not to diminish what anyone's been through, but like, how incredible are you? And like, if you can survive that, you can do anything, yeah. you know? So that was one side. The other side I have, and probably and I still work with um, a lot of trauma because my belief in my experience of all these years is that, you know, a very high percentage of women particularly have some level of trauma abuse going on because that's just how it is at the moment in life. Um, but I have a lot, I do have abuse issues, but I also have um, a lot of people who, who will say like, you know, but nothing major happened to me. I didn't have that trauma. I didn't have that major life event, you know? So like, why do I feel this way? Yeah, that was and, me. That was and me. not until we start to explore that actually all this stuff comes out. And it, does, it doesn't always have to be a hugely major, significant, you know, traumatic experience but lots of things that happen. And it's amazing the number of people who I'm working with just now who are struggling about stuff or like, I don't know what to do or I'm feeling a bit stuck. And then after a few weeks when they really get to know me and trust me, I ask a few questions and then oh, they start going, yeah, well, my life was okay. I don't think I believe anything. Oh yeah, well, I guess this happened. And you know, and like that, <laughs> you know, like, you know, things like, it'll be like, you know, well, yeah, my, my mom was really closed off. My father was an alcoholic, like, you know, and this all comes out and you're like, so. Cause you, they see that as normal, don't they? Yeah, so it's just there, it's been normalized and they just tell a story and they just tell it very detached and like, oh yeah, this is just the facts of my life. And it's not until you go back and you look and say, well, like, can you see how that would affect you? Mm. Like, you know, if your father was an alcoholic and was very detached, how does that make you feel? Or, you know, like so many things. It's just like so much stuff comes out and you're like, and then you go back and you realize that how long have you felt like this? Well, you felt like this since you were a kid, you know, like, so, so it's about helping people also connect the feeling. And then I, you know, yeah, I like that light bulb moment, but I also get that moment. And I also get that moment when I actually because awful, but I make people cry. So, you know, when they actually get in touch and this huge amount of raw pain. And I'm really sitting a lot just now holding people with such raw pain that they've never ever explored. And I don't know how many times I hear like, I've never talked about this before. I never really discussed this before. So there's two sides I see, you know, with people. Interestingly, you, you could have just like written my autobiography there. Because mm. I, I always remember um, when my, well, my eldest, who's now 16, um, when he was really young, I always remember looking at one of my friends 
and thinking, oh my God, she's had so much. She she had so much go wrong in her life. Um, there was there was a major catalogue of events, but I remember at this particular time that um, she um, lost one of her children. She lost one of the babies. Mm-hmm. Um, and her brother died of leukemia all within the space of like three weeks. And I actually remember think, looking back and thinking, my life is in comparison an absolute garden of roses. And that's not fair that she's been through all that and I haven't. And I actually still vividly remember saying to myself, my time will come, that, that will come for me. But even when uh, when I say as I went, went through the, uh, a breakdown and I was having panic attacks and my whole world shrunk, I always remember thinking that it was almost like I didn't, I can't think of the right words, I didn't deserve to have had a breakdown, but not in a, not in a sense that it shouldn't have happened to me. It was almost like um, you could understand it if she or somebody or somebody who had cancer or lost their parents, you could understand, they're almost like they they've got permission to fall apart because look what's happened to them. Good reason for them. Yes, exactly. It's a good good reason. reason. You know, here's a, here's a, here's a clear catalog of events. So it's it's understandable. I I haven't had that. I have no permission to have fallen apart. Must be because I'm just weak. Yeah. And that is why I kept it all in. And I said like very few people knew that it happened because I felt incredibly weak, like it wasn't justified. Mm -hmm. But then when I actually look back at my catalogue now, I think, wow, okay. It might not have been on the same same level as what she had or other people I know, Mm -hmm. but the catalogue of different bits of trauma, which chipped away and chipped away and chipped away, was actually pretty huge. But at the time, as you were just saying, it felt like, no, no, I haven't really, nothing really gone on in my life. Yeah, just like horrible think, stuff. Yeah, yeah, just normal yeah. stuff. Yeah. Like my grandparents died. And yeah. and it was it was things like that, and it all contributed to it. Yeah. Um, and I think it highlights the fact that we can have empathy and sympathy for other people. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that's awful. I, I can't imagine how you're going through it. Yet when we go through something maybe on a different traumatic level, but it's almost like, I'll oh, get on with it. Yeah, yeah. And it's been an attitude, particularly a British attitude, you know, get on with it. Yeah. <laughs> so we kind of have that. I mean, I mean, I mean, it's not that long ago, you know, I'd have people saying, you know, just, you know, literally that kind of pull your socks up and go on with it sort of thing. You're like, seriously? You know, it's really unhelpful. But yeah, I, think, I think we also have a lot of people that are like, I know like a lot of my clients, the, um, you, you know how your thinking can get distorted. And if you have very low self-esteem, you're feeling quite anxious, it gets distorted. And a lot of people feel like they perceive that other people are doing well. And that, you well, know, nice. like, yeah, so like, you know, it's okay for them because their life's going really well and that they're, you know, everything's good for them. It's just that, you know, there's a whole series of things that means that my life's not going well. So there's a lot of comparison and also mm. a, a misperception. And I think social media really enhances that, that everyone else's life is brilliant and perfect. And, you know, mine isn't. And therefore, that's because there's something wrong with me. Yeah, it must be. You know, it must mean there's something wrong with me because everyone else is getting on, which is so not yeah. true. But, you know, we perceive that, you know, like Facebook, we, we, we don't tend to post the negative stuff or the, the boring stuff. We, we have a snapshot of all the best pieces, you know, and I know that in mine. Mine must look like I have an amazing 
expat life here in Munich and I do have a good life. I, I have a great business and a family, I have a lot of great things, but there's also a huge amount of challenges living as an expat with no family here and mm. away from my friends and my German is still atrocious, you know, those kind of <laughs> things, you know, there's like, but there's additional challenges. That's the limiting belief. That's just limiting belief. <laughs> Actually, that's fact at the moment, but it will be changed. I will change it. It's still terrible after all these years. My four-year-old can speak way better uh, languages than I can. So, um, but you know, people perceive what they want to perceive, and it's 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 also I think it's in a way it's it's easier to think well, there's something wrong with me. That's what it is. There's a fault with me. Yeah. And that everyone else is happy, rather than. No, it's, it's, it comes down to what we talked about, like how much is your accountability, how much is choice. I remember, if I could share this, I remember like, so I was moving, I moved here to Munich six years ago now. And so I was quite conscious of moving. Relationships, as we know, are a vital part of our happiness. So I knew friendships would be important. I knew that I needed to find work. I wanted to work on my relationship with my partner. I knew that I couldn't rely on him and his network solely for my happiness. And so I did a lot of work and I was very clear, you know, the coaching me, I was really clear of what I wanted to achieve when I moved to Germany. I wanted to uh, learn German. I wanted to create a social network. I wanted to get my diploma in coaching so that I could work for myself, set up my business. I wanted to get pregnant because at this point I was 41 years old. So I wanted to do all these things. And when I went home at the end of that year at Christmas, um, I'd got my diploma. I'd been studying some German. I was five months pregnant and I was about to launch my business and everybody said you're so lucky you are so lucky everything's just so lovely and I was like luck <laughs> <Is that luck? laughs> it was like really hard work and consciously working yeah it was like I didn't go I really hope I meet people and I yeah. really hope that I can find a job you know, like months before I moved, I started joining groups and networking and going out. I even set up my own meetup group here in Munich so that I could create my own group to meet people. You know, I consciously worked on my diet. I saw an acupuncturist. You know, I managed to get pregnant. You know, I studied my diploma. I did all this background work to set up a business. You know, like I actively worked on it. I didn't sit here and hope that I would make friends. You know what I mean? So there's so much about when you know and you can believe that you can take action, then you can change. And to go back to your question about accountability, I'm always like, I'll show up 100% here with you and I will support you 100%, but you have to also meet me 100% and put in the work. And you have to work consistently and you have to prioritize it. And if you do, we'll get the results. And yeah. when people do that, we do get results because there's so much within our control there's so much you can do to be proactive in your own life but so, of course we need that right support we need that right connection we all need people don't we you've got teams of people i've got a whole group of people that support me i do think we all need a coach uh, i do think we all need someone in our corner i genuinely mean I that like, you that down yeah I, I agree can uh, I, yeah. actually because i'm not i'm enjoying this it's amazing so i don't want to cut this off but actually you've just said something there that is i Personally, I don't know what Tracy's thoughts are on this, but it's that thing of acceptance that you need, you need some help. Uh, and a lot of people feel as though they should know it, they should have had it. And 
we all we all know now <laughs> and if you read the right books i mean we're a great fan of napoleon's hills think and grow rich who talks about the mastermind and when you study great people whether you deem them as being great but what, whatever measure of success whether that be wealth happiness impact all of those people have a coach or coaches to look at those different elements of your life mm-hmm. um so what would you say in that pursuit of happiness what is it that a coach a therapist gives you if somebody's going i don't trust a coach why should why should i pay for somebody to do this besides the fact well you're not doing anything anyway at the moment so you know but i understand that like mindset about investment mm-hmm. and investing in yourself how would you say to that person who is procrastinating is that person who is the victim possibly who hasn't quite flipped that made that decision that enough is enough because most of us have the breakdown we've we've gone to the breakdown we get the suicidal tendencies before we go actually i can't do any more than this how do you not convince but how do you have that conversation with that person who is procrastinating and and is moaning and blaming everybody else i've been there so i can say that (laughs) yeah i mean yeah i i come across that question a lot and also in the context of people as we were talking about where they've got some insight and they've read the books and they've been trying to apply stuff but it's not quite enough yeah what i always say is that i think it's really hard to sit down on your sofa by yourself and go deep enough into what's really going on and what you want to change it's really hard not to just go round and round in your own head and not always find that solution or how to to break it you've done a lot of work and you kind of know what you have to do but it's really hard to implement it by yourself and i do think it's really hard to go deep enough by yourself and as a coach i want to create that safe trusting environment where we can work together and i can work with you to ask the right questions to have that conversation to dig deep to really get into what's really going on and to find those solutions. And also, we know that we need to have accountability. We know the research is, just are you writing, are you just writing all these down? You're not giving me flashcards, are you? But you know, there's masses of research. In fact, I've got one written down here. So you put me, if I wrote something down here, because I talk about it all the time, that um, with accountability, how big a deal that is. And you can't, you can't, I think we can't underestimate it. We talk about, oh, we should get an accountability buddy to go to the gym and all that kind of stuff. But seriously, it works. So I read this thing about um, the American Society of Training and Development conducted some research and found that you have a 65% rate of success of completing a goal when you've got an accountability partner, someone you're accountable to. And that increases to 95% when you also put a date on it as well. Yeah, I think these are like incredible statistics. So if I said to you, you know, if you work with me and we've got a minimum 65% success rate, but also if you put a timeline on it and we work together, that's almost 100%. Would you take it? You know, so yeah. so I'm giving you that motive. Motiv- and also it gives you focus, doesn't it? It gives you, you focus know. and it gives you permission. Like in our busy lives, it's really hard to say, let me sit down for an hour and work on myself. Most people don't really do that so much. You know, it's really hard. There's always a million other things to do. And 
it's really hard to sit down and just do that for yourself. So I say, I'm going to give you permission and time and space to really solely work on you. Yeah. And it's so important because, I mean, I have people that come to me who are like, you know, 27 and go, my life is over. And I'm like, you've got like at least 60 <laughs> minimum years ahead of you. Or people that come at 40 and say, it's over. And I'm like, you know, you've got another 50 years ahead of you. How do you want them to be? There's, it's not too late. There's loads of time. How do you want the next part of your life to be? So let's make time. It's, it's, it's understanding that you are important, no matter what your story is. If you want to live the happiest life that you can have and be the best version of yourself, it's important to invest in yourself. And everyone should have time to work on themselves. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this from a coaching perspective, I'm a, I'm a real fan of, of smart objectives. You're probably aware of smart. So for people who don't know what smart is, just take, you can take this away. This is simple. This is all on the internet, the smart and star and all this sort of thing. But it's about making it specific. What is it specifically? And you might need to chunk it down. And it's measurable. How are you going to measure that? What's the measure of success in whatever it wants you to be? And actually, is it achievable? If the answer to that is no, then chunk it up a little bit more. Is it, is it realistic? Can you do it? So if you want to say, well, I want to be able to jump off a, off a cliff and then fly without any aids, chances are that's not realistic. But the most important thing is time bound because you can have dreams, you can have all this stuff, but if you don't give yourself an end point, and it's fine if you don't reach it, because that, that is a lesson. But if most people go, oh yeah, well, I'm going to do that, but I'm going to do it tomorrow. And it's about yeah. using those smart objectives and then really chunking it down. Okay. So that's from a coaching perspective. Obviously, I am a coach mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. That's not something I do within RTT. But if I was coaching, I'd be looking at those smart objectives and really looking at those little things. And it's not the big thing. Everybody goes, I'm here. I want to be here. Yeah. Actually, it doesn't go like that. It's the same thing that I talked about with the, um, the trauma. The trauma is ingredients. What, what are the ingredients of the trauma, feelings, situations? Mm -hmm. Well, actually, it's exactly the same for success and happiness, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Is that yeah. happiness, happiness is an outcome. It's the journey that's the important bit. And what parts of that journey do you need? So if you're going on a journey, what do you need? Well, you might need some sturdy shoes. You might need to, right, is it going to rain? Mm -hmm. you know? And you yeah. do that. If you're going out somewhere, you're going on holiday, you don't just kind of go, I'm going on holiday. You pack a suitcase, have I got my passport? You need all these things to allow you. You don't think about it. They're just yeah. things that you do because you've done it before. And it's exactly the same when you're looking at happiness, isn't it? It's about, yeah. okay, where do I want to be? But what are the tools? What are the things I want? What are the feelings mm -hmm. that I want? And all mm -hmm. that sort of stuff. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I always use the analogy of training for a marathon. You don't see anybody run a marathon and go turn up that day and run a marathon. Not unless you're David Goggins, because he does stuff like that. <laughs> well, most of us wouldn't do that, you know. So, you know, you start with a small program. You start walking. You start building up. You do this program. And then you don't do a marathon and go, well, that's me done until next year. I'll see you in a year's time. And it's the same with our, our brains, with our emotions. It's the same with happiness, is that you have to build up that to work on it to get to where you want to be. And then you have to keep working on it. It's a continual thing. It's not you know, done and dusted. So, you know, like with my coaching, yeah, I have people who come and want to work on stuff and then they go away. And I also have clients who continually work with me because they want to keep checking in. They can't keep checking on their goals and their growth mindset and keep working on who they want to be, keep accountable, keep on track. So, hmm. And I think also that happiness is something that we chase that we think we should be all the time. Actually, yeah. 
be happy that actually you'll have a crap day. Feel happy that actually, if you're not feeling that well, just stay in bed. Give yourself permission. I think happiness is about permission. I don't know what Tracy, do you think about happiness is about permission to feel the way you're feeling and to, and embrace that. If you're having a crap day and you're not feeling well, just embrace that and just know that this isn't going to be always like this. And just by embracing and accepting you feel crap, you'll feel better. You'll feel happier. Yeah, I think it's about um, being realistic in the fact that, as you said, that you can't always expect to be happy because it's a bit like, um, I actually did a post on this the other week, that the sun sun rises so that we appreciate the moon. The moon rises so we appreciate the sun. It's the same with the, the seasons. When it's raining, we don't want it to rain and we want the sunshine. But when the sun comes, then there could be drought and then you'll appreciate the rain. It's about if we were happy all the time, we wouldn't actually be happy because it would be so normal that you would kind of just be, you would just take it for granted. So we have to have this contrast. We have to have these dips to appreciate it even more. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and it's just, I think it's just the knowledge that, and a lot of people who do suffer, suffer with their mental health have this issue when they're down in the dark places they don't think that the light's ever coming back. And I think it's just about knowing that the light will come back and there is always hope. I always used to say that while there's air in your lungs, there's hope in your heart, right? You can always, there's always hope that things will change and you can personally change them and you can get that happiness back. It's just knowing that and not fearing it's gone, it's never coming back because it will come back. Obviously, you've got to work for it. Yeah, I mean, I... Yeah, I think people perceive that I'm all about, like, I just walk around with a sort of big happy smile and a glow the whole time because I'm just happy all the time. And, and what I say to people that when I describe when you, when you put your happiness on external things, your sort of window of emotion is really wide. And so you kind of go up and down really ex- to extreme. So when mm. things are good, you're really happy. And when things are bad, you're really depressed. And for me, the key is about being resilient. Happiness is resilience, where you kind of bring this window of emotion a bit smaller. And mm. it's not that you don't react to things, but you don't go to extremes, that you're able to bounce back when things happen. To me, that's, that's what we that's call flow, isn't it? it flows. Yeah, it's flow rather than the roller coaster, which is what yeah. most people describe it as, where you're just one minute you're happy as anything, next minute you're the opposite end. There's no bit in the middle. It's either great or it's all great or it's all bad. Mm. And, and happiness is about being much more in that flow, as you say, in the middle and still reacting, still being upset about things, still feeling grief and anger and all these things. But, but allowing that to know that it's, it's okay. And that it will pass. Yeah. 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 It's, and it's okay. It's, it's not about having no emotion and just being happy all the time. That's not, <laughs> that's not it. You know, you still have anxiety, you still have worries, you still have those things, but you know that you will get through it. You know that you will cope with it. Yeah. You know, that that's part of life and yeah I, I love what you're saying yeah, yeah you're gonna you're gonna okay. you're gonna bounce back a lot quicker than you would have interestingly what you were saying about the whole roller coaster of emotions mm-hmm. that's how i um how i see teenagers mm-hmm. are mm-hmm. either ecstatically happy or on the brink of suicide it's like come on bring that window in understand that you don't have to be right at the top or right at the bottom. You can be in the middle. What I would like to, um, as we start to wrap this up, I would like to ask you, if somebody's listening or 
two people who are listening to this, have you got a tip that you could give that somebody could go and use right now to just boost their mood a little bit, um, give them that little ray of hope and a little bit of ray of happiness? Is a little um, a quote, a tip, a technique that you think that people could try that would give them a bit of obviously they're not going to go from where they are now to being calm mm-hmm. down the street mm-hmm. but is there something that you could share with the listeners yeah sure oh gosh there's so many to choose from a bit, one thing i wanted to share with people is that often when you know there's things that you should do they're not always that attractive or they're quite difficult um and so i really like to focus on the why you do things think yeah. about why um so like a very obvious thing would be like you feel you should go to the gym you want to get healthier but you hate going to the gym and so we focus on oh i've got to go to the gym the what the what you have to do mm-hmm. but actually when you focus on the why it's much more powerful you know if you want if you focus on i'm going to go there because i want to feel strong i want to feel healthy i want to feel fit i want to feel sexy i want to look good that's much more motivating. So when you're faced with having to make changes in your life that are often frightening or scary or feel difficult or overwhelming, focus on the why more than the what. Start with why. Start with why. And I know that's not my my thing either. I never came up with that, unfortunately. But, but, it's, <laughs> but, it's, but I think it's really powerful. You know, like I apply it to all aspects of my life when I have to sit and do my taxis or something. But you know, Focus on the why, you know. But don't want to go to jail. <laughs> but also, like, you know, if you, if you, if you, you know, what's what's going to be the impact if you don't do stuff? Mm. What's going to be what's... the impact if you stay this way? And what if you do something? You know. So if you push yourself to go out somewhere and meet other people, say, which could be difficult for some people, if you don't do it, what's the impact? And if you do do it. You know what's going to be the impact on your life and focus on the why not just the, the negative or the, the difficult part but focus on the why i think that mm. really helps a lot and you can apply it when you're going through really big stuff you can apply it in all aspects of your life it really helped me yeah. get through on this and it's about choice difficult. it's about choice we weren't going to mention choice we were talking about this before the podcast but it is Start with why and choose and choose what it is that you, which will serve you, not necessarily mm-hmm. others, what is serving you. So yeah. I think that's a good tip. I mean, my Twitter yeah. leaders ask why. I started my journey okay. with why. I think everybody yeah. starts their journey with why, not what and how. We're told what and how, but actually why is really important. So I, I agree with you 100%. Um, yeah, go, go And if it. I could just say to finish, that just, um, I think also... We talked about goals and smart goals and choice. Like really focus on what is important. I think we get caught up in doing too much. We're, as people, we are overwhelmed in our daily lives. Everything is so busy. I mean, people just talk about, I don't have time. I'm too busy. I can't get stuff done. And I'm all about living with intention. And that's about letting go of the stuff that's not serving you. If your goals are around your happiness, around your health, around your family or your career, focus on those and let go, declutter the stuff that's not serving you those goals. We get caught up in stuff that we feel obliged to do, duty bound to do, loyal to do. Uh, We often struggle to say no and we end up doing a lot of things. I see people running around every day doing stuff 
for other people or what they feel they should be doing and not going forward in the things that are important. So if your health is important, if relationships are important, whatever is really important to you, prioritize that, focus on that every single day, consciously work on that and let other things go. Have the joy of missing out on some of those things. Let and go get a of, coach or a therapist to help you through that. That's what someone do. to motivate you. But I just wanted to say that I think it's so important. I think we're very overwhelmed and we get lost in what we want to achieve. Mm. Thank That's you, Julie. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and see if I can summarize all this. I've been, I've been mm -hmm. making some notes. So before we end the podcast now, I'm gonna kind of summarize it with this: that I think the secret of happiness is freedom. The secret of freedom is the acceptance of being vulnerable. And to be vulnerable is to have the courage to seek others that are not on your journey, but those that have gone before. Knowing that the pursuit of happiness is not an end point, but it's the journey itself. So look forward with hope, faith, and most of all, take action and take control, supported by those who have already walked before you. Knowing that right now in this moment, good, bad, or indifferent, just be happy. And why? because you deserve it. And um, we'll give you Julie's contact details if you want to get in contact with her. And I think we'll wrap it up there. So thank you very much, everybody. Say goodbye. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks so much, Julie. If you enjoyed today's podcast, why don't you come and join us at facebook.com forward slash talking underscore minds. And don't forget to give us a little like. Thanks very much for listening. See you soon.